Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 22 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, the 3rd of July. First, I'll be talking to Aramex Australia CEO Peter Lipinski to discuss the increased demand on Australia's transport and delivery sector as online shopping orders boom with more people self-isolating and working from home, and how the Australian delivery sector is adapting to these unprecedented times. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about how the market is travelling. But now, let's talk to Peter Lipinski. Peter, let's start off. Um, Aramex Australia must be flat. You, must go, you guys at Aramex Australia must be flat off your feet at the moment with this lockdown. It's uh, it's it's surprisingly how much online uh, retail is going on right now that physical stores have been sort of limited. Just looking at uh, at some of the volumes that we've been seeing in the last few days, they're seventy six percent up over Easter last year. It's just amazing. Seventy six percent. Yeah, I mean a lot of our customers have worked over Easter to pick the orders. So at uh, the same time last year, 76%. I can't believe it myself. Typically, we've seen an increase of about 30 to 40%. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. But this Easter weekend um, has just exceeded all expectations. That's extraordinary. Now, uh, and who, what are you actually delivering? So it's it's interesting, you know, the the products that are sort of booming right now is obviously wine, pet food, um, 
But we're also seeing quite an increase in flat pack furniture where people are ordering, you know, desks and little cabinets and you name it. And a lot of uh, home improvement, so tools, even equipment for um, for weights, you know, um, people, it's amazing. The crews are actually saying that they're getting quite a workout because the, the profile of freight has changed dramatically versus what we always used to deliver. This is all in preparations for people to be working from home and spending time at home more often. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Uh, that's what it looks like to me. You know, apparel has uh, has decreased. Uh, part of it is most probably due to international uh, connections not being as strong as they have been. Uh, obviously, with the majority of the flights being cancelled, that, that puts pressure on the international shippers from getting the freight to into Australia. So that definitely has reduced. And, you know, we've seen reductions of most probably 40% to 50 of uh, goods coming into Australia uh, from Europe or China or US. Uh, but the domestic, domestic shipments have definitely gone through the roof. And, uh, I mean, is it is it just uh, goods from shops or is it stuff like um, supplies to elderly residents who might be isolated at home? Um, look, it's a, it's a, it's a mixture. Um, we, we can't tell, obviously, who the recipient is. Uh, it, a lot of it is going into residential areas and it is, you know, gifts and, 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 and you know, supplies. Now, whether it's for elderly or not, I really wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, I think nowadays um, everyone's ordering everything online because obviously due to restrictions, they don't want to venture off, which means that they, they do order everything that they need and we deliver a very wide range of products. Now, uh, this is right across Australia, isn't it? Yeah, right across Australia. Uh, so this would be... Divided up in regions across Australia, wouldn't it? Yeah, so we, 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 we operate uh, out of uh, 27 regions. We actually, um, it's interesting, you know, um, I, I think we're in a very lucky position. Uh, we've actually opened a new region to service more of the country areas that we haven't had presence before. So we opened a new region in Young on the 1st of April. And, you know, we were wondering whether that's a wise decision or not but even that franchise is seeing uh, good growth both from pickups and deliveries but our coverage is all the way up from Cairns down to Tasmania across to Perth uh, across eastern seaboard we're building our network sort of in 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 the areas that we see population growth to make sure that we service um, our customers needs and it's basically run as a franchise service? Yes, yeah, so, so we're a three-level franchise, so we've got regions that are franchised. So, for instance, Newcastle is a separate region to Central Coast to Sydney. Uh, and then in each region, we have courier franchisees, uh, and, you know, they're, uh, they're basically independent owners, and they service their local customers, and they uh, operate in the same area every day, so they're almost part of a community. And maybe that's why we're seeing such a growth because they're, they know their customers and they're in the same area every day and people turn to them when they need, um, need help shipping product around. Well, that makes sense because your couriers are then part of that community. So they know their community, they know their market, and their market knows them. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're, you know, our, our system has always been built on the courier franchisee uh, and the original franchisee being part of the local network. And they're almost like a community hub. A lot of our uh, original franchisees are involved with, you know, local charities or schools or clubs. Uh, and I think in situations like uh, we're in right now, that definitely helps 
them secure additional business. Uh, and I know a lot of them, you know, do little things for people sort of pro bono as well. We don't sort of publicize it too much that, you know, it's something that they do locally in their own communities. How many career franchisees do you have? So, so we, we have, uh, around 900 career franchisees. Uh, and that's, uh, supplemented by, uh, we have a crowdsource model as well that expands our deliveries in, uh, in peak time. So right now we, uh, we're advertising for additional blue drivers, as we call them, which basically is sort of like an Uber delivery where they can come and supplement uh, areas where we have um, capacity issues. Okay. Now, are there any uh, big markets? Look, it's right across the, uh, across the board. Uh, I mean, we, we've always specialised on uh, B2C type deliveries. So, you know, there's growth, obviously, in e-commerce is good for us. Some of the other companies in the market had... Um, uh, larger exposure must probably be to be, uh, and, and maybe you've seen a, a decline in that, you know, with shops and restaurants uh, shutting. Uh, from our perspective, um, you know, we've always been uh, pretty active in B2C. Obviously, wine market, we deliver a lot of wine for the you know, majority of the major brands uh, and cellar doors, and that's been always a big, big, big part of our business. Uh, but, yeah, we're seeing growth across the board realistically. I believe pet food is quite big too. Quite, quite amazing. Uh, I think it's it's a bit of a rush, the same that we've seen in supermarkets on food and toilet paper. Uh, I think that's been a bit of a rush to look after our fairy friends. You know, listening to the news, uh, obviously a lot of people are offering to to be foster parents for pets right now because they're spending so much time that uh, that that's what's probably driving uh, additional demand for us. Right, so you're delivering a lot of pet food and uh, all over Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Pet food, wine and furniture. How are the customers responding? Look, we, we're getting really good feedback from customers. Uh, some of our, and, and both customers and recipients, so some of our um, you know, direct customers actually measure the satisfaction of their customers with the deliveries. Uh, and we've actually seen an increase in the satisfaction. And I'm not sure whether that's because we've maintained our service levels, whereas you hear a lot of stories in the market that, you know, due to the conditions, um, you know, that there are delays. We've, we've worked really hard with our franchisees to put some safety processes in place, but also try and make sure that we deliver within our service standard. Uh, because at the end of the day, just because, you know, we, we're operating in difficult uh, conditions, it doesn't mean that people um, should be affected and get their goods, um, you know, a week later, um, because I think people still need those things to 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 operate from home, whether it will be, you know, food, furniture, or, or alcohol, which all helps. In terms of the safety of your couriers, how do you manage that? So look, we 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 were fairly quick to to respond to to the changing conditions. We've implemented uh, staggered um, staff times and uh, shifts. We've put in uh, cleaning processes. We've changed the delivery structure where we no longer require people to actually sign. We sign on their behalf. We just need to sort of verify that they're in front of us. Uh, we've changed a lot of our customers um, with notification to an ATL-type product, which means that we can leave the product in a safe place. And I think, you know, from that perspective, uh, it, it's worked quite well, um, and, and customers are satisfied with that. Uh, additionally, you know, in the depots, we measure everyone's temperature every day as they're coming in. So all the little basics that, you know, I suppose most people have implemented, including the separation, we've put into our uh, regional franchise network as well. Right. Okay. And of course, uh, you would have, would you expect uh, 
business will continue like this for now? Look, you know, I it's a it's a question that you know a lot of people ask, and and I think that that there's been a definite shift to more people obviously selling online because the physical you know shops are shut. So we've seen a huge uh, pickup in that area. Uh, question will be with the with the unemployment um, obviously on the rise. Um, obviously, government's trying to do whatever they can to to provide people with the you know job uh, support package. Uh, I think we'll see slight drop off in in spending with time because I, I think it's been a bit of a hype and and people being at home must probably still shop more online than they would if they were working in the office. But I think the the shift to online will will remain, and I think a lot of businesses that previously maybe didn't have a strong presence online must probably will uh, reevaluate the options and actually spend more money making sure that they are ready and enabled online and even talking to you know various people in the industry about uh, how people work you know from an office or, or, or remotely now I think there's going to be quite a bit of a change in, in, in people allowing their employees to, to work from home more often in a structured way and that will drive the online market as well I think um, because people will be home to receive the goods as well. Well the question is uh, when the market returns to normal and when uh, the social distancing stops and people go back to work, whenever that will be, do you expect this will continue? Yeah, look, I, I think it will because people are creatures of habit and, and I think, you know, online is is a is an easy way to obtain the goods and it's time saving and people are time poor. So I think the, that um, that online will, will, it always has been and it's been growing, but I think, People have realised that there's a lot of benefits on on shopping online as well. Um, saying that, I think you know physical retail has a lot to offer, and uh, a lot of people that have been cooked up in the house for a very long time must probably be looking out to an outing uh, with kids to go shopping and, and and do something different that they have been before. But yes, I think the trend will continue. Well, Peter, we'll be watching it with great interest, and thank you very much for your time and congratulations. Thank you very much. And now let's talk to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver. Shane Oliver, how do you uh, assess the uh, rate the market's going at the moment? Uh, it seems to be all up and down, and coronavirus seems to be in the news and uh, hitting share prices one day, and the next day uh, share prices seem to be up again. Yeah, it has been a bit rough the last couple of weeks. I, I think, to be honest, what's happened is that markets had that huge rebound from about March the 23rd to a high point, which was a couple of weeks ago now, and then we, we managed to rally our market. In Australia, we rallied about 35%. The US market has rallied 44%, and other markets were sort of around those numbers. So very strong rally. That saw share markets get overbought technically. In other words, that's a situation where they run too far ahead of themselves. Often you can measure whether a market's overbought or not by the number of stocks above the 50-day moving average. We were seeing exorbitant numbers of stocks above their 50-day moving averages both globally and in Australia. So we sort of got to the point where we we were vulnerable to a bit of a pullback. Of course, as often as these things that sort of went on for a bit further than I would have thought. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the market got set up for a bit of a, a pullback, a correction, and that's now what we're seeing. The worries about a second wave have added to that or have helped trigger that uh, pullback in markets that initially started in the US with states like Texas and Florida and Arizona and California. 
And then, of course, recently we've seen sporadic breakouts in places like Germany, China, in Beijing, and also in Victoria and Australia. So those things have sort of, I guess, reminded us that there's still uncertainty about the coronavirus, that it's not beaten yet, and that's led to uncertainty about the economic outlook and the recovery from the shutdown earlier this year. And, of course, that's also combined with periodic geopolitical concerns, tensions with China, particularly between the US and China. The other day, there was tariff announcement, uh, potential tariff between the US and Europe. So those things, I think, are weighing as well. And that's what's giving us this volatility. My, my take on it is, for what it's worth, if you know, we, we, we do have a pickup in cases, but we don't have the same level of deaths that we saw in the first wave, if you want to call it that. The hospital systems generally cope, then we're probably not going to see a return to the severity of the shutdown we saw earlier this year. And we're seeing in Australia our Prime Minister say that we've got to continue with the reopening. You know, they did expect some pick-up in cases as we reopened and uh, they're managing it. So if that remains the case, then markets will go through a bit of a wobble, may go on for a little bit longer, but ultimately the recovery will continue and share markets will resume their rising trend. Of course, the, the darker scenario is where... You know, the cases keep escalating and, of course, the hospital systems around the world run into difficulty, particularly in the US and again in Europe and maybe uh, Australia. And then I think uh, it would become more of a problem. Hopefully that will be avoided. Um, but I guess, you know, in the meantime, we just have to accept that we're going through, through a bit of a correction in markets after a strong run up. I would, I would imagine, though, that one of the issues is that uh, everyone is saying, will end until we get a vaccine. But I'm not sure a vaccine is going to help necessarily, and it might just be a case of learning to live with it and manage it. That's right. There is a lot of debate about whether a vaccine can be found here. I know there's a lot of testing, a lot of uh, trials going on, over 100 trials around the world, including several in Australia. But we just don't know at this stage. I mean, a cynic might say, well, don't coronaviruses cause some colds, about 20% of colds, and they've never found a vaccine for that. An optimist would say, well, you know, there's a lot more at stake here. You know, we have to get a solution, otherwise we're, we're going to be in big trouble. Um, so the pressure to find a solution is much greater than it is for the common cold. But, but there is this, this, this debate also that uh, sometimes people have had exposure to coronavirus. Uh, they've tested positive with the antibodies and then uh, they've got reinfected. So we're not entirely, not entirely sure that even if you do get antibodies to coronavirus, or COVID-19, uh, that version of coronavirus, that that will protect you the next time. So therefore, a vaccine may not ultimately work. Um, so, yeah, there's a bunch of risks around this, which if it doesn't work, then it all comes back to having to learn to live with the virus, which means significant changes in economic activity and the way we do things going forward, ongoing social isolation, wearing masks, and there'll be a big part of economic activity that will never return in its current form. So... That, uh, that's a fairly bleak scenario. Hopefully that's not the case. Think back to the past. We have had these virus outbreaks in the past, and, of course, they run their course. Spanish flu in 1918-19 was an example of that. They run their course and then never get heard of again, or not quite. I think one similar did come back in the 1970s. But So it's, it's hard to tell precisely how this unfolds. I guess I tend to land to the view that ultimately some sort of solution will be found even if we don't get a vaccine. Treatments will be uh, perfected. Uh, we have seen that remdesivir does uh, help in recovery times. Uh, you know, a cheap steroid was found to help in one out of eight uh, hospitalised cases. 
So maybe it's a combination of drugs which ultimately help, much as has been the case with HIV AIDS. We never got a vaccine for AIDS, but uh, you know, people who do get HIV now can treat it. Well, my understanding is it can be treated with a combination of antivirals. So maybe it ends up being the case with uh, coronavirus that uh, antivirals ultimately help those who do get it uh, avoid death. So hopefully something will come along. The optimist tells me something will come along, but uh, we're still left with a picture for a while that you know, we're not going to go back to, to normal economic activity for some time yet. Well, sometime yet. I mean, the IMF, uh, the IMF forecast is very dire. It went up uh, to 5% drop-off in economic growth. And, of course, you had uh, Liveris saying the other day that we're not going to get recovery until 24-25. Yeah, it could take a while. And, of course, it all depends on what is defined as recovery. You know, there's a sort of a one version is we'll get back to the previous highs in economic activity, which was the end of last year. On our projections, which are actually a little bit bleaker than the IMF's. I, th I thought the IMF was too optimistic in their initial forecasts in April, and now, of course, they've revised down. Uh, but they're still actually more optimistic than we are for the global economy this year. We're seeing a, a contraction of around 6.7%, whereas the IMF is, is somewhat stronger than that. So, yeah, for, we've got a contraction this year of 5.7%, sorry, and the IMF is talking about 4.9%. So they're a bit more optimistic than we are. I, I think the key then becomes how fast the recovery occurs through next year. The IMF is seeing a rebound of 5.4%. But the maths of that, if you come down about 5 and you go up about 5, is that you're still below the previous high. So uh, you know, that's in that sense, it take, it's going to take a while to fully recover. But I think what matters for investors often is the direction. You know, when, when things were falling away in late March and early April, you know, share markets anticipated that with sharp falls. Now the markets have picked up and moved higher and, and recovered a lot of their losses um, because the direction of economic activity has improved. But there will come a point, I think, where the rebound in some economic activity will then start to slow down. For example, if you look at a lot of the economic indicators recently, they're showing what looks like almost a deep V-style rebound. Retail sales are a classic example of that in Australia. But I suspect that after that initial bounce, which in many cases reflects the spending of pent-up demand and simply just the act of reopening the economy so, so a lot of activity can return, after that initial bounce, it'll take a long time to get back to normal levels. So we don't see the Australian economy returning to its... 2019 high point in economic activity until sometime late next year. Other economies, Europe and the US, may take even longer than that. And that, of course, still leaves them well below where they would have otherwise been were it not for the coronavirus shock, which is what some business people may be referring to. You know, we're still going to end up being a long way below for several years what we otherwise would have experienced in terms of economic activity, which obviously is a constraint on business profits and revenue and also means that the unemployment rate is not going to go back to 5% anytime soon. Uh, in the short term, I think it probably goes higher, but as the economy reopens, it will come back down. But ultimately, I think we're going to be left with some higher level for some time. It could be 8% or 7% or something, but it's still going to be well above the 5% level. And the other problem in, in this whole thing is that coronavirus has obviously disrupted economic activity because of the social distancing and the shutdowns, travel bans and so on. There's that. But even if a vaccine comes along and we can go back to doing what we did before, 
there will be a lasting impact from coronavirus because businesses will use it as an opportunity to cut costs and it has accelerated the shift towards a digital economy. People doing more work from home, using Zoom and Skype and FaceTime or what have you to have face-to-face meetings almost with people all over the place around the world may include, well, you don't need to do as much business travel anymore. A lot of people switching to online retailing, a whole bunch of people who previously didn't use it. Businesses laying people off because they're automating. And so what's happened here is that coronavirus has accelerated that shift towards a digital world, towards automation at a pace that is faster than new jobs are being created. And that, that in turn may lead to higher unemployment for longer than would otherwise have occurred if we'd seen the previous more gradual pace towards automation. So coronavirus has probably changed the market for a long time. I I think coronavirus, yeah, will have lasting impacts. Um, I I don't want to get too negative here. I, I, I sort of just reminded a little bit if you were sitting around in 1918, 1919, worried about Spanish flu as people were back then. You might have got negative about the 1920s and if you got too negative you would have missed out on the roaring 20s which turned out to be a a rip-roaring decade. So you've got to be a little bit careful here about avoiding getting too carried away but by the same token I think it will have lasting impacts. Of course for shares and for investments it works both ways to some degree. On the one hand you know, we might be left with a lower level of economic activity for a long time to come, whether you get a virus or not, and higher levels of unemployment. But by the same token, that also means lower interest rates and a standard valuation measure for the share market is a dividend discount model where you've got your dividends going off into the future and you discount the value of those dividends back to the present using interest rates or a discount rate. Uh, those interest rates that you're using are now a lot lower and that acts as a bit of an offset. So on the one hand, lower than otherwise economic activity, but on the other hand, lower interest rates. And net-net, it may, may turn out to be a bit line ball uh, for the share market. It, the outworking of all of that, of course, is the share market ends, on, ends up trading on a higher price-to-earnings multiple. Well, Shane, Oliver, I'm sure all investors will be listening to that very, very closely. And thank you very much for your time again. My pleasure, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, probably the best thing to say about world financial markets so far this year is simply that it's been quite a ride. If somehow you missed the coronavirus slamming the global economy like a wrecking ball, current market levels certainly do not reveal the wild swings that unprecedented events unleashed. Sure, world stocks are down nearly 9% for their worst start to the year in a decade. Some big emerging market currencies are down over 15%, and super low-risk US government bonds and gold have returned 16%. But none of that is exactly unique. In fact, some bits look distinctly bullish. The tech-heavy Nasdaq is near a record high, thanks to those fantastic fangs again. Chinese stocks are now up for the year, as as are Italian bonds, which might all suggest nothing serious has gone on. Wrong. The reality is that it's been one of the most turbulent six months ever seen. Having slumped 35% between February 20th and March 23rd in the most destructive sell-off since the Great Depression, MSCI's World Equity Index has rallied to within 10% of February record highs, and Wall Street has had its best quarter since 1998. It's all been fuelled by $18 trillion, or $26 trillion Aussie, worth of fiscal and central bank stimulus, interest rates slashed to 0% or below in most major economies, and massive debt-buying programs. Borrowing costs for high-grade US companies are now below January levels, despite rising numbers of firms going bust. 
and Australia's share market is heading for its worst financial year in over a decade, as the coronavirus pandemic casts a long shadow over the outlook for economic growth and corporate earnings. Even after the fastest rebound on record, the local bourse is still 24% below its peak. For superannuation investors, this could be the first negative since the global financial crisis. The benchmark S&P ASX 200 share index was down 12% for the financial year to date, after diving 1.5% to a two-week low of 5,815 points on Monday, as the worsening pandemic in the US and Australia outweighed news of China's first rise in industrial profits since November. And a sudden halt to government stimulus to support the economy through the coronavirus recession would be a problem, the Reserve Bank has conceded, with signs the job market is failing to bounce back from pandemic-related shutdowns. RBA Deputy Governor Guy de Bell said it was clear the recession, despite being caused by health issues, was likely to scar the general economy, which would require ongoing fiscal and monetary policy support for years. Dr de Bell said while the economy had done better than originally feared, and it faced an historically large hit. He said the recession would have a long-term impact, requiring considerable policy support, including government spending. Abruptly ending that support would have substantial ramifications. And in a new report on the COVID-19 recovery phase, the Grattan Institute recommends that the federal government should wind down its fiscal stimulus programs more gradually to avoid a severe economic crunch in September, spending an additional $30 billion in 2020-21. To aid a return to full employment below 5% by 2021-22 would cost an additional 40 to $60 billion, Graston estimated, including permanent increases to job seeker, rent assistance and childcare, and new spending on social housing, services and infrastructure. Focusing on the decisions the government will need to make over the next six months, in particular those made ahead of the October budget, the report does not go along with calls from the likes of the Reserve Bank, the OECD and The Economist magazine to build back green and tackle climate change by investing in renewables. Grattan's outgoing Chief Executive, John Daly, tells the monthly today, The reason why we haven't is that if you're trying to build back green, you're not going to get there fast enough. If we're halfway right about this major economic crunch coming in late September or early October, unless a significant policy shift, it doesn't matter how fast you move, you're not going to be building lots of nice green things by September. They're nothing like shovel-ready. And remember, what happened the last time we did this is pink bats, and that didn't turn out well. And national property prices have fallen for a second month in a row and accelerated as uncertainty builds about the fiscal cliff expected in September. Melbourne and Perth led the pack with a fall in property values of 1.1% in June, followed by an 8% decrease in Sydney, a 0.4% fall in Brisbane, and a drop of 0.2% in Adelaide, according to CoreLogic's Hedonic Home Value Index. And business payrolls have increased 2.7% from their low point in mid-April, and around 1% over the past month, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. However, with payrolls still tracking 6.4% below their pre-crisis levels, the recovery still has a long way to go. Sectors such as accommodation, food services and arts and recreation have been hit hard by COVID-19, with payrolls down 28.6% and 23.9% respectively, compared with March 14. No other industry group has experienced a fall of 10% or more. The recovery will only, be, will only be gradual, and there's a huge uncertainty surrounding government policy, the global response, and more recently, a second wave in Victoria. Returning the economy to what it was pre-crisis will not be easy. It will certainly be challenging, and it won't happen quickly. Women have generally been hit harder by COVID-19 than men. Payrolls have fallen by more for women than men in almost every age group. 
One in six women aged under 20 and one in 10 women aged 20 to 29 have lost their jobs over the past three months. That compares with one in seven men under 20 and one in 11 men under aged 20 to 29. And Amazon is investing more than $500 million in its first robotic distribution centre in Australia in a move aimed at speeding up deliveries and doubling its capacity as a structural shift to online shopping gathers pace. In its single largest investment in Australia since launching its online store in December 2017, Amazon has confirmed plans to build a 200,000 square metre fulfilment centre at Goodman Group's Oakdale West Industrial Estate in Western Sydney. The centre, which will have a footprint the size of 22 rugby fields, will be manned by about 2,000 robots. The robots will enable Amazon to speed processing time for online orders by moving shelves to employees, reducing the time and effort it takes to stow items for sale or pick them for new customer orders. The rectangular robots weigh about 50 kilos and lift storage queues that weigh about 300 kilos. They lift the queues and move them around the warehouse at a swift walking pace, using advanced algorithms to work out the most efficient route to packers and the most efficient use of space. And a report in Axios lays out the price the world is paying for the pandemic in stark terms. Global poverty reduction, women entering the workforce, long-term health and well-being for young and old alike, among other issues, could face dramatic setbacks. Remote learning may have left students months behind and the knock-on effects may have untold consequences for those students as they graduate and enter the workforce. The restaurant and tourism industries will struggle to recover if consumer spending slows and potential customers seek to mitigate risks. And the coronavirus pandemic has shattered Australia's resources and energy forecasts, with export earnings set to drop by $30 billion in the 2021 financial year, down from a record high of $293 billion this year. The government's chief economist, Russell Campbell, expects earnings to be slashed to about $263 billion in fiscal 2021 and $255 billion in 2021-22. After 11 years of growth, the world is facing a COVID-19-induced downturn of a breadth and scale that now seems likely to be much larger than assumed in the March 2020 resources and energy quarterly, said Mr Campbell. A second outbreak of COVID-19, another surge in trade tensions or an unexpectedly slow recovery weigh on the forecast made by Mr Campbell's team, released in the Department of Industry and Resources Energy June quarterly report. But on balance, it remains likely that parts of the service sector will bear the brunt of a downturn and commodities will once again buffer the Australian economy against external headwinds, the team has found. Despite the global economic slowdown, Mr Campbell's team still expects Australia's mining and energy exports to hit an export earnings record of $293 billion in the year to June 30, 2020. And taxpayers have spent $1 million compensating employees who lost wages and entitlements in the collapse of Maid Establishment, the restaurant empire founded by celebrity chef George Calambaris. But despite the taxpayer payment, more than two dozen former kitchen and waiting staff have received none of the money owed to them in superannuation and redundancy entitlements because as temporary visa workers, they do not qualify for government support. Some are out of pocket more than $15,000. The made establishment empire, which included a dozen restaurants and employed 364 permanent and casual staff, collapsed under the weight of a $7.8 million wages underpayment scandal, significant financial debts and poor trading conditions, despite a large 2017 investment by former Swiss Vitamins boss Radek Sally. The company's eateries include the Press Club, Hellenic Republic and Jimmy Grant. However, four months after the collapse, some staff entitlements remain unpaid, despite the company's hopes that workers would not be left out of pocket. 
Documents filed by Liquidator Quarter Mint for this month showed made establishment still owed $1.3 million in employee entitlements when it closed in February 2020, including annual leave, superannuation, redundancy payments and back wages for more than 100 former full-time workers. Nearly one million of this debt has been covered by the federal government's Fair Entitlements Guarantee, a program that pays the outstanding wages, leave and redundancy entitlements of citizens and permanent residents when their employers are unable to meet their commitments or are going insolvent or bankrupt. And it will be a much smaller version after the sale to Bain, and there are forecasts it will sack 5,000 or half its workforce. That is the opinion of Tony Webber, who was Chief Economist at Qantas from 2007 to 2011, and the estimate relies on how much of the airline Bain maintains. Bain plans to implement a support program for any team members who may leave the airline and establish an employee-owner profit-sharing scheme. And from the opposite direction, think tank Beyond Zero Emissions has released its Million Jobs Plan with project advisors including former PM Malcolm Turnbull and economist Ross Garno. The plan advocates for hundreds of billions of dollars of public and private investments of de- in decarbonisation from renewables and clean transport to energy efficient social housing and manufacturing opportunities such as green steel and hydrogen, creating more than one million new jobs in Australia over the next five years. The report was launched by Atlassian co-founder Mike Cannon-Brooks, the former UN climate chief Christiana Figueres and first state super chief executive Dean Stewart. No one thought 2020 would turn out the way it has, Eitan Lenkon. Interim Chief of Beyond Zero Emissions told Guardian Australia, We now have a unique opportunity to seize this moment, to retool, reskill, and rebuild our battered economy to set us up for future generations. And the Morrison government is examining whether the emergency doubling of a job seeker unemployment benefits has had a negative impact on Australians looking for low paid work or seeking out extra shifts. Worker advocates say that the economic slowdown brought on by the pandemic will ensure that unemployment will remain high for the foreseeable future and the benefit needs to be extended. But the government is arguing that at its current level, JobSeeker provides a disincentive to return to work and must be paired back. And Cirque du Soleil Entertainment Group filed for bankruptcy protection after the coronavirus pandemic forced it to close shows around the world, bringing one of the best-known brands in live performance to its knees. As part of the restructuring, Cirque said it would lay off 3,480 employees who had been furloughed during the COVID-19 disruptions. The Montreal-based company, controlled by private equity giant TPG Capital, requested court protection through the company's Creditors Arrangement Act in Canada. Application under the CCAA will be heard by the Quebec Superior Court, and the company will also seek its immediate provisional recognition in the US under Chapter 15. Entertainment companies that depend on large crowds were among the first business casualties of the virus. Cirque du Soleil laid off 4,679 employees, about 95% of its workforce, on March 19, after shutting down 44 productions to comply with government orders around the world. The company, which grew from a troupe of Quebec street performers into a global live entertainment giant, entered into a so-called stalking horse purchase agreement with its top shareholders, TPG, Shanghai-based Vosun International Limited, and Case de Depot de Placement de Quebec. The Quebec government's investment and lending arm, Investissement Quebec, is involved as a lender, the company said. And outbreaks of panic buying of toilet paper and pasta could occur again multiple times over the next 12 months, as fresh waves of the coronavirus pandemic trigger more grocery hoarding, Macquarie Wealth Management has warned. Its report noted a recent pickup in grocery stockpiling in Melbourne and parts of Sydney causing some shortages and said this could continue to happen as fears grow of more COVID-19 outbreaks. 
The latest Eon Alphabet data suggests supermarket sales are 3% below normal levels. Purchase limits were reinstated in Victoria earlier this week as stockpiling behaviours began to materialise again, while on Thursday, Sydney was reported as beginning to see product shortages again, the report noted. We expect this cycle could repeat itself multiple times in the next 12 months, each time there's a fear of another wave occurring. We expect the general eat-at-home trend to continue to play out in supermarket sales through the first half of 2021 as consumers remain cautious on spending money going out. Last week, supermarket chains Woolworths and Coles were forced to reimpose buying restrictions in Victoria on a number of staple items such as toilet paper, paper towels, rice, UHT milk and mints. And as panic buying spread, they reinstated limited restrictions on groceries for the rest of Australia. The stockpiling initially flared up in parts of Melbourne following a spike on COVID-19 infections, but the panic buying quickly spread to other parts of the city before Woolworths and Coles imposed purchasing limits in Victoria. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Rachel Callan and Katie Croft about their Thriving Through COVID-19 initiative, which they set up to help hundreds of small businesses stay connected, inspired and thrive, no matter how they've been impacted. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about what to expect in the market in the week ahead. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter, talking Z, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment, wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.